to be able to allow that to happen is through your word. And so as we open it up, help us to understand the things you want to teach us. Incredibly powerful sections of scripture that really can change our lives for all eternity. So help us to awaken our senses to what it is that you want to say to us by the power of your word. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brad. That was great. Morning. My name is Denny. I used to preach here. <laughs> and they let me come back. I don't know how that happened. Denny. Denny is the name. Yeah. yeah. Bill. Nice to have you, Bill. Good to have you be back. Do you miss me? All three of you, thank you for that. Had a great time. Had a great time being away. Uh, a lot of family time and a lot of Harley time. And both were great and wonderful to be a part of. Going to do something crazy. I saw one of these students at BBS this summer, and I thought, when I'm gone for a few weeks and when I come back, I'm going to change in some dramatic way. So this is what I was going to do. One of my favorite TV guys on the Food Channel is Guy Ferretti, and I was going to do that. I love his hair. I love his style. I was going to do the whole deal, and then I thought, you know what? Maybe if I do that, it won't come out of the hair. And of all things, I had three funerals this week, and uh, it would have thrown everybody off just a little bit if I would have come out like that. Guys did a great job. I had the opportunity to listen to all the messages, and they did a phenomenal job while we were gone. I do want to thank you for the encouragement. Not one single person when I was away before I left and all of that said it must be nice. Uh, somebody may have thought that, but nobody ever said that. All I heard was, I'm so glad you could do that. I'm so glad you could have the time off. Man, that meant the world. No wonder I love you guys so much. So thank you for that kind of encouragement. A lot of information in your bulletin. If you're new this morning, we'd love to have you. Again, if you are new this morning, my name is Denny, and I am the lead pastor here, the senior pastor, and uh, preach on a regular basis. There's a Connect card here. Fill that out. Let somebody know when you walk out that door. If you fill it out today, you'll be invited to Starting Point, which is next Sunday after the second service. You're going to have to flip services to be a part of that. But every few months, we do something for people who have been here for a few weeks or a couple of months who have some questions about who we are, what we're doing, why we do what we do, all of those kind of things. And we try to answer them in a very informal setting. So if you want to be a part of that, you've got to sign up today so that we can know and prepare and have the right amount of food that goes with that. We have a trap shoot coming up on the end of the month, 29th, but today is the last day to sign up because we have to have a certain amount to be able to do that. So we have to know today if you're interested Sign up somewhere outside as a sign-up sheet. Need a lot of help in Upstreet for uh, this fall coming up. And if you haven't registered your kids for the fall, you can certainly do that. And that's out there toward the library. Make sure you see somebody this morning. You have sermon notes in your bulletin this morning. Guys, did a great job on selfless living. This morning we are back in the book of Revelation. When I knew I was going to be away, I had to come back a week early because there are three more sections of Scripture before we start a new series in the fall, and if you could pray about what that is, I would appreciate that. I have some sense of where God wants to go in the fall, but I would love to have your prayers with that. But there are three really powerful sections of Scripture in the book of Revelation that you cannot overlook that really change the dynamics of everything when you fully process them. And so we want to return there. There are a lot of information in your sermon notes this morning. There's somewhat of a synopsis, as I've said before, of the message a lot of information, a lot of scripture in there. 
I'd love for you to research it after it's all said and done so that you can get a context of everything because there's no way. I'm talking about end times theology today. Books have been written about it. Seminars have been done on it. Hundreds of sermons have been preached about it. And I'm going to try to pull it all together in two or three sermons. Little impossible. So I have all that information in there for you so that you can follow along. Maybe you've noticed this. Again, I said to you I had three funerals this week. A friend of mine lost his dad yesterday as well. So it's been one of those unusual weeks when we're talking about life and death and all that goes into that and then dealing with it on a practical level. But I don't know whether you've noticed this or not, but a lot of people, when they come to the end of their life or they know they're about to die, they have a tendency to talk about some of the things that are most important to them in your sermon notes. And, and if you're around them long enough, you can kind of tell that. You can kind of tell what's important to them. They'll share memories or maybe family time. Very seldom talk about, man, I wish I had another 10, 10 years at work. But they will talk a lot about family and memories and some of those kinds of things. If I'm around people long enough, I can tell what's important to them by the way they talk or what they talk about. I've been fascinated over the last number of years that if I'm around older people who've been around a while and I spend a little bit of time with them, I can almost tell you the highlights of their life by what they spend the bulk of that time talking about. Now, they maybe have a pretty broad view, but you'll, you'll find themselves having recurring themes. And, and I can tell where the highs of their life was by those things. And, and a lot of them aren't current. But if you're around them long enough, you can kind of tell which one that is. I, I've got a friend who's battling cancer. And lately, for the last year, I'd say, almost every single time I'm around him, he talks about his career in the military, and that was 45 years ago. But I can tell that was the highlight of his life and the opportunity to do service. When I'm around older pastors, I can tell you what their favorite church was. When I'm around older pastors, I can tell you what their favorite church was. They'll talk about that one all the time when I know they've been in two or three. Now, you're wondering, when I get old... Hard to believe, I'm going to turn 65 in a couple of weeks. When I get old, which one am I going to talk about? Uh, this one. Absolutely. I, I've been blessed with four really, really, really great churches. Near the end of Jesus' life, he talked about a number of things. Now, he'd been telling the disciples over and over again, I'm not going to be here forever. I'll come back. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm not going to be here forever. Matthew probably extrapolates that out more than any other author, as well as John here in the book of Revelation, where Jesus talks a lot about a certain amount of things. Certainly he talks about his death, talks about getting the message out, talks about heaven, talks about his return and the end of time. And if you take time to read those last few chapters of Matthew prior to the cross and the crucifixion and resurrection and all of that, you'll see that he really spends a significant amount of time talking about those few things, all of them the most critical aspects of life because he knows that we do not last forever on this earth, but we will, based on our soul, last forever and all eternity. And he wants to make sure that we're clearly aware of that, that this life is brief, it is short, 
60, 70, 80 years, no longer is it going to be 500, 700, 969 like Methuselah. Psalm 90 said, I need you to know it's only going to be 70 or 80. And if you get to 80, a lot of strength, labor, and sorrow, and the body begins to deteriorate. And, and I need you to know what's really important about that because it's not you're going to be here forever. Keep living any way you want to. It really won't matter. It really does matter. And I want you to be clear on what's going to happen next. And every single person, these families that I've had the opportunity to walk through that with this week, all want to know and they want to know their family knows what's next. Because this life isn't all there is. What's next? Before I left on sabbatical, we talked about the Mary's Supper of the Lamb. We're in chapter 19 and 20 this morning out of the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Incredible celebration when the church celebrates a meal with Jesus. Next Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate communion. And it's an opportunity for us to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. We hold the bread. We take the cup. We're reminded again of the sacrifice, the price that Jesus was willing to pay for our redemption. And we hold those and we talk about the significance of that. Jesus had one of the most intimate meal with his disciples. Hundreds of meals, but one of the most intimate with his disciples in that upper room prior to the cross and crucifixion and resurrection. He said, I'm not going to do this again until the end of time, but there will come a day. And he points to that event when the groom Jesus calls his bride and we sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding feast, they're an incredible celebration. Everybody's gathered, family and friends. It's unreal. Imagine inviting every single believer on the planet for the last 2,000 years to that event. It would be incredible. And we get to see Jesus. Every person that died this week. Couldn't wait to see Jesus. Grant, pastor friend of mine, died on Sunday morning. What a great day to die. On a Sunday, instead of celebrating with the people of God, you get to celebrate with Jesus. And that moment you leave this world, you see him face to face. Can't even imagine what it's going to be like when we gather around that day. And Jesus couldn't wait for that day when the bride comes. Now, unlike our weddings, if you come to any wedding that we do in America... The central focus of the wedding is on whom? The bride. And if you have kids in a wedding, whether or not they make it down. I mean, every wedding I've ever done that had kids in it, they've been bribed with everything under the sun. CD, I'm talking $1,000 CD that we'll put in your name, college tuition, whatever, if you'll just come down the aisle. And so everybody who has kids focuses on two things, whether or not those kids make it down the aisle and that bride. I've had brides tell me, I am so shy. I don't want to be the center of attention. I think, honey, then don't get married. <laughs> you are the center of attention. Everybody comes to see the bride. But in biblical times, it was the groom. It was the groom. That's what everybody was excited about. And in this context here, we see the groom all over Scripture. We see him described in Revelation 1 and and John does a great job all the way through of making sure that we clearly understand how much this groom loves his bride. You can't even imagine how much this groom loves his bride. That's you, the church. 
A couple of the guys did a great job as I listened to all the messages this week reminding us of how unbelievable, believably valuable we are in the eyes of God. He loves the church, and he wants you to know that. You not only see in Revelation 19 this glimpse of the groom who loves and adores his church and can't wait to call her home, you also get a look at the conquering king. In Revelation 19, you see two sides of Jesus. The groom who can't wait to see his bride and the conquering king. Look at Revelation 19, verse 11. (coughs) I saw standing there open. I saw heaven standing there open. Wouldn't that be a great deal? I mean, open. And there before me was a white horse. See, I told you. I don't know whether dogs go to heaven and no cats don't, but I know horses are going to heaven. (laughs) All right? There was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. This is now the end of time. His eyes were like blazing fire, and on his head were many crowns. He has a name written on it that no one can know but he himself. And then he'll tell us who the name is. He is dressed in a robe dipped with blood, and his name, the Word of God. That's John 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And that word came and made his dwelling among us. So he's got to be talking about Jesus. Same author now telling us who that is. The armies of heaven were following him. Here we are. Now, I'd rather have a Palomino, but I'll deal with a white horse. Riding on a white horse dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword that's going to strike down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron scepter. Treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe. And on his thigh is this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is no doubt only one person can have that name, and it's Jesus. When Jesus, in your sermon notes, entered Bethlehem and later near the end of his ministry in Jerusalem, it was pretty unassuming. I mean, he entered Bethlehem in a manger. Not a whole lot of people were there. Obviously, we share the Christmas story and We know the ones that were there. Even when he entered Jerusalem near the end of his ministry, it wasn't that conquering king on a white horse at that point. It was a gentle leader coming on a donkey. And in both contexts, during the early side, the very entrance of his ministry here on earth, and the end of his ministry here on earth, it was kind of unassuming. But I'm telling you, when Jesus comes the next time, absolutely everyone will know it. It will not be like Bethlehem. It will not be like Jerusalem. When he comes again, everyone will know it. In the beginning of Revelation 19, we believers are invited to a banquet of joy, the marriage supper of the Lamb that I share with you. But those who reject Christ, who say, I don't need Jesus, I'm good, I I really don't care what happens at the end, it's going to be a big party, doesn't really matter, I'm just going to live through life, Those who reject Christ are subject to another banquet. It's in Revelation 19, the last half that I won't read this morning, but it's a banquet of death. For every person, and it's pretty gruesome, for every person who rejects Christ, who maybe has said to you or insinuated at some point or the other, man, this is going to be a party when I die. They are going to be dead wrong. Now, you need to tell them that in a loving, speak the truth with love, Ephesians say. You need to tell them that with love. But I'm telling you, those who think when I die and leave this world, it's going to be Miller time for the rest of my life, they are going to be dead wrong. 
And Scripture pretty clearly indicates that, especially when you read that book in Revelation 19. Revelation 20, where we're going to be this morning for a little bit in the last, next couple of weeks, one of the most debated books in, or at least the most debated chapter in the book of Revelation, it deals with the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, some have read the New Testament and I believe wrongly conclude that Jesus' kingdom was only spiritual in nature. But Revelation 19 and 20 reminds us that he's going to come to earth as a literal king and set up his kingdom. Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the keys to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, whatever you know him by, all the way through Scripture. He's the serpent at the beginning of Genesis. Know him as the devil, Satan. He's going to seize him and bind him for a thousand years. Now, I know you're sitting there saying, well, Scripture says a thousand years is your sight is one day and a day a thousand years. No, we believe it's a literal thousand-year reign. He threw him into the abyss. He locked him and put a seal over it. I love that concept. To keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years are ended. After that, he'll be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They hadn't worshipped the beast or its image, hadn't received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life. They reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead didn't come till it was ended. It's the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But we'll be priests of God and Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. New Testament scripture refers over 300 times to the coming of Christ. This is a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. Now, if you're new, you're just saying CAC, right? What is that? Community Alliance Church. That's who we are. But we're a part of a larger denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance that have been around for 128, 130 plus years, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ literally around the globe. 205 churches in America, 10,000 overseas. And one of our foundational doctrinal pillars is the return of Christ. We believe in Jesus, our Savior. You cannot come to heaven but through Christ. We believe in Christ, our sanctifier, that he wants us to become like him. So the process of our journey is not just hoping I get in or crossing the line into salvation, but I really do everything I can because he'll do everything that he can and offers everything that he has. So that we can become like Jesus. And so my journey, once I step in and accept Christ as Savior, is to continue that journey until I become more and more like Him. We believe in Christ our healer. At the end of the service, many times we'll have people come forward and we'll pray over them. We have anointing oil and uh, we'll pray over them and ask God to heal them. We believe that He not only healed then, but He does today. And we believe in Christ our coming King. It's who we are. It's one of the four tenets of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We are absolutely convinced that Jesus will come back and that his coming will be visible, personal, and a bodily return to earth. In your notes, suffering believers down through the centuries of church history have held on to at least three foundational truths. That God really would walk with them even through the valley of the shadow of death. You want to know that that's more than just a verse that you memorize in Psalm 23 when you're a kid. 
You want to know, if I'm going to go through the valley of the shadow of death, and just so you know, if Christ doesn't return, you're all going through it. Many of you have been through it. Don't you want to know that you're not in this alone? That he really will walk you with you, even through the valley of the shadow of death? They also really believed that Christ would come back and set this upside-down world right side up. Hebrews 11, I have it in there. Unbelievable chapter, unbelievable ending. He said at the end, since God has planned something better for us so that only together we would with be him be made perfect. They believed that God would walk with them through the valley of death, that God would raise this world, bring it back together again, and thirdly, that God had some amazing future plan for us. And we sang about it this morning. Couldn't believe it when we sang that verse. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. No mind can conceive. I don't care what the human mind can come up with. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's what the Israelites had hoped for. That second one, that Jesus would come back and turn this upside down world, right side up. That's what the Israelites had waited for all of their life. Most of the Old Testament was looking forward to that. The story of the Old Testament was their desire for the Messiah to do just that. That's why they were so disappointed when he didn't do it while he was here on earth. That's why they were so disappointed when he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and set a white horse, conquering the Romans and and making the Israelites the nation that God had been promising forever. That's why no matter how loud they yelled on Palm Sunday, the next weekend they're going to crucify him. He's not what we thought he would be. The return of Christ is going to happen. And it should do a couple of things, and we'll talk about it at the end. Number one, because we know that the return of Christ is going to happen, that should motivate us to godly living. Second Peter chapter 3. Look, since you know that all of this is going to happen, and I'm not going to go back. I could spend days telling you all the things that we discussed in Revelation and Second Peter. But since you know the world's going to come to an end, now you have to believe that. But since you now know that, because I'm telling you it's true, what kind of person ought you to be? I'm going to face Jesus. When it's all said and done, I'm going to face Jesus. What would that motivate you to do? Live a life so that I can look him in the eye. All of you who have raised kids, you know, you confront your kids with something they've done wrong. Do they look you in the eye and say, yep, absolutely. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. We always blame it on your brother. I blamed everything on him. Yeah, I don't know what single kids do, who they blame it on. But don't you, don't you, don't you want them just to look in the eye and say, yeah, man, thank you for loving me. Don't you want your kids to do that? Don't you want to be able to live a life at the end of time when you can look Jesus in the eye and say, oh, thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me here. Thank you for allowing me to live this life for you. Wanted to do my best. Was I perfect? Absolutely not. But boy, I couldn't wait for this day and I wanted to do everything I could to live my life toward this day. In light of the fact that all of this is true, what kind of person ought we to be? He clearly says that in 2 Peter. And the second thing that he wants us to understand is we have to get this life-changing message out. Matthew 24 in your notes in the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached to the whole world as a testimony and then the end will come. 
return of Jesus motivates us to godly living, challenges us to share the message of Christ because there will come a day when it will no longer be possible to ignore God and it will be unable to repent. The timeline of events in Revelation are incredibly difficult to understand sometimes, especially when you're in a verbal two-dimensional way. If you're looking on a chart, trying to figure out how it all plays out. Some of the concepts you read about in the book of Revelation are so hard to wrap your mind around and try to fully understand them. One of the analogies that I've heard years ago, and I use it again here this morning, is kind of like trying to wrap your mind around the speed of light. Sound travels at 750 miles an hour. Light at 186 miles a second. Now try to wrap your mind around the two of those. To appreciate the scale, consider that if the Milky Way were a galaxy, the size of the entire continent of North America, our solar system from the sun to the Pluto, I still call it a planet, would, would fit in a coffee cup. Okay? Voyager spacecraft been hurling to the edge of the earth 100,000 miles an hour for decades trying to get to the end of the universe. When engineers beam a command to the spacecraft at the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second, they, it takes them... 16 hours to get the messes there. Yet this vast neighborhood of our sun, in truth, the size of a coffee cup compared to everything else, fits along with several hundred billion other stars and their minions in the Milky Way, perhaps a hundred billion altogether, to send a light speed message to the edge of that universe, it would take 15 billion years. And here we are sitting here at Community Alliance Church trying to understand and explain the mind of God as he unpacks revelation. Oh yeah, I get it. I understand all that. And that's the difficulty of trying to help us understand what it is that God is talking about. When we look at this concept here on the screen, <coughs> All we're doing is trying to take this large picture of everything in Scripture and narrow it down in two-dimensional form, and it's almost impossible. Obviously, the center of all of this is Christ, the centerpiece of history. When, when time comes near the end, time as we know it comes near the end, there's going to be what's called the rapture. Now, some, and it's all, we all believe in our context here that it's going to be before that millennial reign. Some think it's at the beginning of this tribulation, the outpouring of God's wrath that you see here in Revelation 19. Some think in the middle. Some think it's happening near the end. I don't want to be here for the outpouring of God's wrath. Uh, a lot of people, they want to be on the first bus. Now, you got a lot of people to get to heaven, right? So, got to have some on the first bus, some on the second bus, some on the third bus. I, I want to be near the front of the line if I can. Everybody looks at it different. So if you ask anybody in the CNMA, what's your view on the tribulation? They'll say, we're not sure. But if you ask anybody in the CMA, what's your view on the millennial reign? They'll say, Jesus is coming back. Tribulation is going to take place before that thousand-year reign of Christ. We're absolutely convinced of that. I believe that a part of our reward, somebody asked me months ago when we were talking about singing forever in heaven, Who's not necessarily a singer said, seriously? Like, I mean, I love to sing on Sunday morning, but we're going to sing forever? Forever? I, I don't think so. I think during the thousand-year reign of Christ, 
Especially if we die, because it says that we'll, we'll then get raised back to life before we return. And, and sets up this thousand-year reign. I believe part of our reward is going to be the things that we do during that thousand-year reign. And we're going to have assignment. We're going to have things to do. Rick Warren, I love his writing, Purpose Driven Life especially. He's made these statements. People ask me all the time, what's the purpose of life? And I say in a nutshell, it's a preparation for eternity. We're made to last forever and God wants us to be with him in heaven. One day my heart's going to stop and that'll be the end of my body but not the end of me. I may live 60 to 100 years on this earth but I'm going to spend trillions of years in eternity. This is a dress rehearsal. God wants us to practice on earth what we'll do with him forever in eternity. We're made by God and for God. Until we figure that out, life's not going to make sense. Life is a series of problems. Either you're in one now, coming out of one, or getting ready for the next one. The reason for that is God is more interested in our character than our comfort. God's more interested than our, in our character, developing that. Sometimes he does it best through difficulty of life than our comfort. More interested in making our life holy than making us happy. Even though in the process we can be incredibly happy. Nothing wrong with that at all, but that's not the goal of life. The goal is to grow in character and deepen our walk with God. If we focus on our problems, we're going to become self-centered, which is again what the guys were sharing over the last six weeks. We can either ask ourselves, am I going to be all of it in this life? And get everything I can out of this life? Or am I going to live my life in such a way that whatever he has me doing in the next life, I'm ready for it. You get up in the morning. Sit on the side of your bed. God, I don't know what I'm going to do today. I don't know exactly what it's going to bring. I, I know I've got a job. I know I have a list of things. But God, I want more than anything else to serve you and to love you better. If it's at work, awesome. That's for that guy next to me, that lady next to me, the person I meet in a bus, person I meet wherever I'm working, whatever I'm doing, if I just want to use my life for your glory so I know when it's all said and done, because I'm not here forever, that I've used it for you. And I've lived it well. Throughout church history, there are three views of the millennial reign, and, and I have them for you in your sermon notes. I'm not going to get hung up on them, but it's interesting because they're these views have been down through the ages stated by a lot of different people. Some say amillennialism, which is, it's really, uh, you know, a, a, a theoretical thing. It's currently happening. Christ is reigning now. Everything is okay. Postmillennial will, near the end of church age and church time, the population of the world's population of Christians will get larger this is the thing I love the most. As a result of that, there will be a significant Christian influence on society. Society will function more according to God's standards, and gradually a millennial age of peace and righteousness will incur. That's those who believe that that's what's going to happen. Now, I'd love to get some of them in a room and say, how's that one going? Because the world's not getting better. Christians are having less of an influence and are being shut down in significant ways. Premillennial... Christ will come back and set up his millennial reign according to that. Present church age will, near the end of time, have a great tribulation coming to earth. Suffering will come as a result of that. And after that time of tribulation, Christ will return and establish a millennial kingdom. 
When he comes back, those who have died will be raised from the dead, will be reunited, reunited with their spirits, and they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now, that is a ton of theology in 30 minutes, and I get that. That's why I gave you sermon notes, because there's so much more that you can pull together out of that. But it narrows down to three things. Jesus is coming back. As clear as I'm standing here, as clear as we're in church, as clear as this is Sunday morning in August, Jesus is coming back. And so you need to make sure, Revelation 20 said, unless your name's not in the book, you're not going to make it. So you need to make sure, and I've heard the guys do that over the last few weeks, that you know Christ as your Savior. The second thing it should do is to say, you know what, I don't want to waste his life. I want to make sure that when I'm, whatever he has me doing in the next one, I'm ready for it. So it should motivate us to live a godly life, to do our best to, to say, God, I'm going to work today. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve you? What ways can I help me to be open to your spirit? Let me listen to your voice. I want, I want to be used by you. You know, I, I love churches have, you know, People that are in so many aspects and spheres of influence in life. And we're blessed as a church. You're all over this community. And you have an enormous opportunity to touch people for Jesus. And influence them for Christ. And finally, the third thing. It should challenge and motivate us to share the gospel of Jesus. Because there will come a day when it will not be possible. How many people do you think die on an average day? I mean, what do you think the normal answer is? What do you think? 5,000? Yeah. A lot of people, you know, somewhere between 500 and 5,000, most people say that 153,000 people die every day on this planet. One every two seconds. The emergency lights on the top of a police car, uh, whatever that may be, every time that flashes, somebody else dies. 108 every minute. According to the best research, and I get it. We're just trying to research through a number of different organizations that according to the best research, well over 70% of them do not know where they're going in eternity. That's a lot of people. 153,000 die every day, 108 every minute, two every second, and well over 70% of them aren't really sure and probably will not and in eternity with Jesus. Now, knowing that should make me want to make sure that I do everything I can to know that my friends, my family, the people that I love, the people that I work with, know, look, I get it. Life is nuts all over the world. I mean, you don't like America, obviously. There's just all kinds of options around the world. But I'm telling you, I've been to a lot of those places. We're blessed out of our mind in a lot of respects. And so you can't look at this world through the scope of what you see in the United States. You've got to recognize the world. And when you see and understand that over 70% of it probably will not go to a eternity with Jesus, it should say, look, I, I want to do my best to make sure that the people I'm around know Christ. And so that I want to live a life that they'll say, oh, man, gee, somebody's influenced your life. Who is that? What makes you deal with life the way you do? And it gives you the chance to say, let me tell you about Jesus. 
It's coming. You can't hold it back. You can't stop it. It's like standing in front of an ocean, uh, Niagara Falls, saying, I want to push this water back up. It's coming. And all of us have decisions to make. What are we going to do with the life I've been given? What am I going to do with the time that's been entrusted into my care, however long that may be? Because I'm getting ready for the next life. Because now I know what's next. If I read the word pretty clearly, I can know. And everybody that I know who's near the end of their life, they do want to know what's next. This is what's next. Got to get ready. Next Sunday morning, one of my favorite titles, No More Goodbyes. Father, I thank you for your word. Can be confusing, and I get that, but it can be pretty clear. And the things that we need to be the clearest on, you're the clearest about. Father, I love this place. I love the opportunity to share your word. And as we communicate it and as we live it out, help us to be clearly aware of what's next in our journey. Trust that my family and friends here know Christ as their Savior and are living a life that will glorify you and that will do everything we can to make sure the people that we have influence on know you as Savior. Because we all really want to know what's next, and now we do. Help us to not miss that. Bless us as we continue to follow after you and deepen our walk with you. In the name of Christ we pray. If I can help you in any way, we can pray for you. We'd love to do that. If I can pray for your family and friends, if I can pray with you, if you're not sure about your future, man, you come this way. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday.